Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Yuvia, aka the Bruja PR. How you doing, my friend? Good. It's good to be here. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the pod today. Can you give a quick introduction to the listeners? Totally. So, um, my name is Yuvia. I'm the founder and senior publicist at Bruja PR. Um, and I focus and specialize in authentic storytelling opportunities around music, creatives, and uh, different creative talents and brands. But my forte right now focuses on music PR. That's awesome. What made you mm-hmm. start your own company? So my background has been pretty scattered between communications and poetry, actually. Um, and coming from the Bay area, I found that a lot of my interests really didn't fit in one mold or the other. So I definitely have had the experience where I would, you know, go to an agency, get my experience, kind of get my training grounds, would have, you know, a wonderful time in different environments and different clients. But time and time again, I would find this issue where there would not be enough bandwidth or time in being able to properly connect with Mm. someone's story. And that's where the first seedling of a thought of, wow, like we're doing all of this work to really propel your message. We're such such a pillar in the way in which you brand, the way in which you expand. And yet there's 30 minutes tops and then you never speak to your publicist again. And it's like, and, and it becomes such a copyright and such a duplicating format of how we then proceed into the actual formula of the work itself. And I just felt that specifically in PR, there was so much opportunity to actually be intimate in that process. Um, And perhaps that's my poetic self, right? That my background is just like a little romantic of it. But I do feel that the more that we're able to connect authentically, the more that we can inject purposeful direction in our messaging and I think that entire sentiment is is void in in a lot of our mass consumption right now. And so I wanted to start a space where I really just wanted to bridge more bandwidth and time for artists. And lo and behold, the way it's been unfolding is more demand for that space and kind of still, I would say, supplementing with more like agency resource mm-hmm. um, has been needed. And so I find myself kind of going from a place of this like humble space where I just wanted to compliment publicists in a larger scope in being able to just have more time with artists. And now I'm finding that that process is actually way more central to a lot of these artists teams. And I'm like, okay, so how do we better support and empower this vision? Um, and so, you know, in the last year alone, uh, Bruja PR has been exponentially growing and it's super exciting and just like such yeah. a dream. That's fucking yeah. awesome. I, I, you know, what, yeah. I, what I think is cool about that is um, the way, you know, media, the way storytelling is consumed is ever evolving and ever changing. Mm-hmm. And that search for authenticity is, in my opinion, probably the most important thing when you're connecting with someone whether you know it's a musician an artist whatever um and there's a lot of disingenuous storytelling out there centered around music and whatever um and i think that your 
approach towards it is certainly different from, like you say, like an agency who just wants to get as many eyeballs as possible, you know, as many clicks as possible and is sort of not antithetical, but like anti, it goes against building and cultivating community, which is, I think, probably the most important thing for an artist um, in this day and age. Um, Talk to me about like any fears or trepidations you had, like going into starting your own business. And obviously it's been a successful year, but I, you know, I'm sure things start slow, right? It's not like an immediate success. Uh, you know, the, the joke is all, all overnight successes are 10 years in the, in the making. So give me a little bit yeah. of context to, you know, your early days and, and sort of how you've been able to grow uh, exponentially over the last year. Yeah. So this is my, I want to say third or fourth attempt. <laughs> oh, nice. As a matter of fact, um, for the last, I want to say, uh, 10 years, I have tried many different aliases, many different business models, um, and many different vehicles that I think over time, what was really happening is through those chapters, I was gaining my skills and my ethos. Mm -hmm. And I think with your ideology, sometimes it does not form into a business blueprint until you're experiencing the alternative ways in which you quote unquote fail. And as a result, I think that there is a shift in the unfolding where you're really being asked to come to terms with grit and the labor of love. And so if there, the, the relationship with, your business or that of your body of work doesn't come from this place of digesting the mundane, digesting the compromises, digesting the sacrifices, prioritizing your time. I do, I do not think that we're able to colorize our relationship with that which we are being called to do. Mm, And so I want to say that though this has been, you know, an, an exponential kind of year, it has come from many years of failure Mm -hmm. and adapting and making, you know, the decision where I would go back to an agency, but I was very particular about my time there. And it was as if I would reenter the spaces and be in a corporate setting. And I have nothing against, you know, you know, doing the different nine to five jobs for me, it's, it's as if it was a training ground of if I'm showing up for someone else, can I not show up for myself in the same capacity? Hmm. And truthfully at that age and at that time, I didn't have the capacity to grit my labor of love yet. I was still maturing into that. Um, and so I think in those years, be it LA, New York, um, be it the Bay area, that was that was such I look back and I go, wow, I really thought that in those moments I was, you know, sacrificing my dream. But in reality, I was I was being led in a very magnetic way to where I am now. And that's, I think, where I open myself more mystically to the process and how things unfold, that every step along the way becomes becomes so like such a pillar in what is forming as your business blueprint today. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, I think that's crucial because 
a lot of times, you know, I, I've been a solo entrepreneur for a couple of years now via this podcast, my photography business. I just started a digital marketing company. Like I've been doing the solo, you know, provider life for a while now. And there is like inherent risk, there is inherent stress. But I found, at least in the last two years, that as I have facilitated myself towards like what works and and how it's like you know continually manifesting itself in a positive way for me i'm getting bigger and more you know mm-hmm. more lucrative higher level uh, opportunities and i think like you said like when you have that sort of reaffirmation of something and it starts yeah. clicking then all of a sudden you're like whoa shit i can do this i can keep doing this yeah. i can invest more time and more energy into this because right. it's paying its dividends but it's also scary it's, it's terrifying because I think it clashes also on a larger scale, this relationship with our idea of security. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, at least even from a cultural standpoint to just, you know, the way in which every aspect of my upbringing has domesticated my belief systems is that there is this idea of what it means to have stability and security and to risk it, to rock the boat is at least from a Latina standpoint, it, it's this it's this value of like, you're not being humble enough. And I don't know if it's the Catholicism or if it's the <laughs> probably, probably. you know what I'm saying? Or if it's like the culmination of both, that you don't talk about the things that are uncomfortable to talk about mm-hmm. and don't ask for more. And as a result, we settle for less. Yeah. And so we become very comfortable with being complacent. Mm-hmm. And yet I have found in the last two years that there was more it, there was more instability with going in and out of different environments that were not aligned with my ethos than it was to just map out kind of like a set of months and make it such a truth that no matter what, every single month, I'm going to make X amount and it's going to happen. And if that means that I have to gig out or if that means I go support and do a contract with another agency, which I have done and I absolutely love because it propels a more uh, collaborative partnership than that of a competitive one. Mm -hmm. So I I love working with people who are at my level and have been at my level, got seven years ahead of me. Like I find no threat in that. I find no threat in picking up a gig or a job somewhere so long as it continuously expands my ethical skill set and it's feeding it back. And I have no problem doing that until I have my stride because I have given my child of a business the time to marinate seed and harvest. And I think that is the truest way of almost being like unconditionally in love with your work where it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. that's the labor part that the labor part pulses. And it's like a ring of fire. And you have to, e- even in that space, you have to, you have to find your commitment and you have to find your love. And so it becomes a very, in, in, in so many ways, it becomes a very like cosmic romantic journey. And that. it has to do with your self love and self respect. You know, you know, what's funny. I, you know, I don't know if it's like an American culture thing, but you mentioned competition and I agree with that a lot because 
we're brought up a certain way and I think there's just some inherent thing about Americans or human beings where everything is a contest, right? Everything is a competition. Oh. Like, you know, whether it's fucking Instagram followers or how much money I make or what artists oh. you work with or who you're collaborating with, it's all a competition. And I think that one of the cheat codes to becoming the most successful version of yourself is sort of eschewing that mentality. Because at the end of the day, the only person I'm competing with is myself. Like my own wants and desires are the thing that I am going to compete against because yeah. that's all that matters. Like, and I, and I don't know if that's, you know, 36 year old John who's lived long enough of a life to understand what's truly important or not, but there is some inherent feeling of that competitive nature that I think if people were able to, you know, drop it, it would be, be wildly beneficial for, for society. <laughs> right. Because really like there's risk in everything, but it's also coming to terms with being comfortable with embracing the unknown mm -hmm. and having some trust, be it attaining some of that education in mentorship, calling in your soulmate clients, calling in your resources and being very okay with the aspect that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that is a very humbling aspect that is more humble than saying, I, I don't want to ask for more. Ooh. Yeah. And so where, so where we learned this idea that you can't ask for more because you're almost coming from a place of entitlement is so reversed in the in what it actually yields as an outcome really what we're talking about is can we release our relationship to outcome driven results can we release our relationship to false security can we release our relationship to success and the projections of success that have been ideated and that have been instilled from everyone else except you yourself and what you're left in that space is a coming to terms with the present moment and showing up in that present moment with such full, expansive trust and capacity and surrendering and knowing that that is not at, at all giving up. Surrendering to the process is actually being more accountable to it hmm. and doing whatever you can if you don't know what you're doing to make sure that there's an ounce of, of green light coming in from somewhere you know, and like being okay with if that means that the answer is not presenting itself right this second, that like pivoting does not mean that you're letting go of the track entirely. And so I think the culmination of all of that is, is really where I honor kind of the bridge from my cultural background, and what I wish to pioneer embody and champion. And I see it so prevalent in the way in which I then inject those ethos into my clients' storytelling and how I connect with individuals that are just looking to break barriers just to be themselves. They're not looking to revolutionize much. They're not looking to like resist and resent and reject. They're just looking to be totally okay mm -hmm. with coming to terms with their story if an agency tells you it's not marketable, like there's always a way. Yeah. It's just about retargeting. If someone, you know, it's like a, it's like a redirection and branding. It's like, there's a way we can leave this in, in a graceful manner that at the end of the day, that's, that's almost a mental health, yeah. <laughs> you know, so this, 
<laughs> you will. It's like <laughs> so. I love everything that you just said, and I and I think it's uh, it's it's an elevated mindset when it comes to both like life and business. And I'm curious yeah. how you've come to cultivate this, you know, forward thinking mindset because I think it is something that is maybe not lacking, maybe not scarce, but it's certainly not the norm when it comes to being you know, conscious about one's place in the world and, and when it comes to running their own company and their business? Well, I do have a background in um, where, I, where I started my PR was actually in political PR. Oh. And so I understand from an activist standpoint how to, how to develop the strategy of a campaign from an advocacy standpoint. Mm-hmm. And all I did was because I did not pursue political PR, it didn't resonate with me. Um, and that's just kind of the life path that has been taken me is that I simply replaced a, an issue or a politician with archetypal narratives. Mm-hmm. And in that way, that's what I advocate for. And so my, I always come back to like, this space of being able to empower an individual's story and treating it as if it is their political agenda when it comes to developing their campaign. Mm. When it comes to music, it's trickled down differently than it, when it comes to legislation. Yeah. But what's being what's happening is there's a lot of energy output in saying like, this is your truth. This is your ideology. This is your philosophy. These are your politics, if you will, without even having to politicize the narrative, if that makes sense. No, it does. And so I bring it back to this place of like, I think if we were more intentional about the absolute power and significance that is in our individual stories, the less we will feel inclined to, I think, assimilate or construct a story that fits a larger corporate agenda Mm -hmm. and in that way i truly feel as though i am an artist advocate or an activist when it comes to just empowering authenticity that's like my winning strategy and there are different ways in which we can leverage our resources our modalities um, but I think because of that political PR in the recent years, it shifted into more um, into more like life coaching and spiritual personality modalities. And I weave that into the way in which I hold space and do my intake where I am in the artist development stage of our work, um, because in this in the landscape of PR, I think it's molding into more of that of branding and that of marketing Um, and that of consultation. And if you are not able to have kind of the presentation or the skill sets to govern that space by needing that space with your own healed capacity, you will have missed kind of the magic of it. Yeah. Um, And and many times also the blockages, whether it's a writer's block, you know, I, I go into the studios and I work also with artists where they're not at the marketing stage but again, I follow the space of arts development as an act of service. And so whether that's me, you know, starting to see the artist's bio at that stage, or if it's just being in the studio and curating a safe space in which you can fully express your full spectrum of creativity, 
that's super important. And it's going to matter later on in the ways in which that I continue that dialogue in that space when I quote unquote market you. But really it's that I'm amplifying a story that you already have. You're just needing to like have the safe space to clear the blockages and express it yourself. So I'm just a facilitator. <laughs> no, I love that though. Because, you know, I, I look at intentionality as being one of the most important lessons I've learned in my life. And because for a long time, I did almost nothing with intention. I went about life in a very cavalier and casual way. And mm-hmm. I wasn't living life with any real purpose or intention. And I guess with time and with age, you learn to, you know, understand <clears throat> what's important and sort of build out a life for yourself that is is lived that way. Um, and I like the idea of marrying intentionality with authenticity because as a person who consumes a ton of music and who is a aspiring concert photographer and, and tour photographer, like being able to have that uh, combination of intentional artistry and authenticity when it comes to these acts, I think that that is like a recipe for success. Um, when yeah. it, when it, when you go about, um, you know, selecting artists to work with and, and who you want to be an advocate for, how does that process unfold for you? Like, how do you choose who is a worthwhile, um, you know, partner in, in what you do? Yeah, that, that has been a very magnetic journey when I made the decision to finally do my own thing outside of starting from an in-house at a management group and then bouncing around the different, um, you know, amazing agencies in music, um, I felt like I had this open space where I was just calling it in spiritually and I think it was more than anything, my energy was just in this open space. I did not go about formally announcing, putting an ad out or in, or, you know, calling in favors or call. I I completely had this like shift where I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And sure enough, it was as if all of the conversations that I had in the past that really resonated, those were my incoming first clients. Mm. And just so happens that the development of whatever campaign or project they were working on, no one was finding a fit and could only find it with me. And so when I first started, I didn't know how to scale my fees. I didn't know how to go about even having my portfolio deck together. This was really based on this key skill set of having authentic conversations and then kind of in the beginning, scrambling to figure out how what to do thereafter because it was such a potent space. Now it's a bit more organized in which I look at some primary factors that include, am I going to personally consume your music? Am I, where do I see your music? Where can I see it live? Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure that I do my due diligence before even engaging in like an introduction call because I want to respect that space and time. And I don't look at this. I mean, from a business standpoint, there's a certain set of criteria that I think, you know, we're, we're, it's just part of what holds the frame together. 
Um, and I'm always opening myself to that, but if it's a sacrifice at my own ethos or in what they're looking for is perhaps not as uh, aligned with the artist development side, I truly feel as though that time spent could be spent proactively elsewhere. And I, and I don't mind saying that straight up, like you probably can do better, you know, going elsewhere for the kind of result. Or if I see that an artist isn't where they're supposed to be by the time that they leave in a publicist, I won't recommend it. I think it's actually foolish to recommend that for the sake of, you know, finances is like, hey, you're not at that stage. And like, I will give you some consultation as to getting to that stage, but like hold off on bringing a publicist. Mm -hmm. um, and I also right now in the stage that I'm at, I look for a project or a team that I know is going to be a synergetic experience. I'm not in the place that that will accept less accountability because um, I think it dilutes the results. So, you know, I want to make sure that the management team is fairly open, fairly responsive, fairly accountable. Um, and of course, the ideology of the project itself it doesn't always have to be so deep and meaningful because that's kind of my job is to like find ways to inject that. Mm -hmm. But where I'm at, I'm calling in very meaningful projects um, that I stand by that I wish um, was the way in which I bridge the communication for the next generation. And I'm always thinking of that. I'm always thinking of how do we provide better role models? How do we, how do we add just a little bit more significance to that in which you are creating, how do I highlight that? And if I don't, if I don't have the answer, I won't take on a client. Um, and I'm very purposeful about that because I feel again, as though this is my act of service and I do not want to disservice a team. I mean, I love that. I'm very curious. Um, I don't know much about how the, you know, the music PR world works, but like when you bring a client on, let's say it's an individual song, singer songwriter, someone who performs, does that relationship, is it like a monthly thing? Is it a yearly thing? Is it based on an album coming out, a single coming out? How do those relationships sort of form on like a timeline horizon? Um, and is it like one of those things where once you bring someone on board, they're almost like a, a client for life kind of thing? Well, I think the relationship with the clients that I bring on board kind of keep its affiliation and I don't mind supporting wherever I can or have the bandwidth outside of our contracts. Um, however, I, I ask that the commitment be at least three months mm -hmm. in order to really maximize our job. Again, I'm not in this place where I'm just producing diluted results in a one month you know, right. flash and spam. Um, I'm more about the longevity of your career. And as such, we, our relationships, sometimes they're, they're seated and it, it doesn't yield until six months down the road. Sometimes it's the development of years and you're monitoring. And sometimes they are release campaigns and every cycle is different in the mu music release world. You have up through November, I would say, where they're active months and then you really like you really can't get any, anyone to do anything for you like past <laughs> november so those in editorial 
become kind of the like roundup final review and how we plan for the top of the year. Um, and so knowing the kind of outer structure of that for a single, it's going to be a little bit, you know, smaller time than for an album. But right now what we're seeing in the music industry is that given the streaming platforms, there's a lot, a lot of music being just pumped out mm -hmm. and diluting music journalism. Oh, and yeah. so frustration is how do we sustain a story and keep quality control over music consumption. Ooh. And so it becomes a shift because now the emerging rise of TikTok and creative content makers and influencers are starting to have a different role in the table conversation. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the timelines, I think that what I have seen over the years, it is more wise for a management group to look at the timeline from a year perspective and be able to plan the output of their artist on a three to four month rotation mm -hmm. if it's not going to be an album. In that space alone, when you reach a certain breakthrough as an artist and you're kind of creating that like momentum, mm -hmm. it's so vital for your career, for the monetization of it to really sustain that momentum mm -hmm. because it's not about creating waves. It's about riding the wave into as many different waves and as a tsunami as possible. If not, you'll find a lull between a rising artist that's hitting marks within one to two years and then something as simple as just having that one to two month lull can kind of like slow your like path down. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to make sure that like when I'm involved, what other projects are happening that are going to be forthcoming, not just a single, not just this album, but what is it in your artist career as a brand and as a business that we're looking at? from a year perspective, what can I do to set that up so that let's say a year from now, you don't have me on deck. Again, I want to make sure you have those resources. And at the end of the day, like you always have access to me, it's a little bit limited because we're not on contract. And you know, there's a lot, there's only so much time, but at least I know that that team is catching another stride and, you know, and we can keep empowering that. So, I, I think that analogy of the waves is that just struck me big time because like as an artist and a photographer myself, I feel like I'm in that cycle, right? Where like, you know, I'm, I'm two years into a career, right? And, and I had never done a creative career beyond, you know, starting as a photographer two years ago. And yeah. it, it feels like that wave momentum, that crescendo, you're building that tidal wave of work, of productivity but it is mm -hmm. at times like I didn't shoot last week. Like I didn't get paid to do anything last week. And for me, that was like, whoa, -oh, like what's going on? What well, you know what I mean? It just like was one mm -hmm. of those lulls like between the holidays and everything that like things were like just right. didn't happen last week. But I love right. that analogy because 
I've started to feel that each job that I take, each podcast that I do, every model that I shoot, every band that I interact with is just leading to the next thing. And I think that if you're able to believe that you are capable of creating that sustained success for yourself with the aid of wonderful people like yourself, it is possible to get to the point where you're supposed to supposed to inevitably be. Um, but I absolutely it, love that analogy. And it's also important to to look at the momentum building as a marathon and not a sprint. Oh yeah. It is so important to like really try to normalize and habitualize that mantra as soon as possible in order to have the stamina and the lion medicine, if you will, to, to continue roaring. And so it's not just, you know, at the level that I am and that, and as a creative as well, wanting to constantly be in this space and, and hold space for others. I am adapting my skill sets and my role to a team because I respect the mantra of it being a marathon. So when when PR is is not relevant to or it's not catching bites, what other resources do I have? Because I believe in this artist and I'm going to leverage those resources in the same way that I believe in myself, I believe in my expansiveness and I believe in my worth. So how do I prospect different tiers of clients when I am not proactively working on my assignments? How am I leveraging my wisdom and my knowledge in structured ways for an intern so that, you know, I'm not just leaving it on this kind of avoidant attachment of like, we'll figure it out. Like this <laughs> such bullshit, this like baptism by fire kind of shit that we've like really learned how to like train people in. It's like, no, no, no. Like what you're doing is you're completely avoidant that you yourself don't know how to manage a team. Yeah. And that's cool, but admit it and mm -hmm. don't bring anyone on. So it's like the same reflection is being orbited in all areas of like my ethos is like, how do I build momentum as an individual entrepreneur? Well, I'm going to put on my business dev cap in between those like campaign seasons. And I'm always going to have the way in which I harvest those seed conversations, that's that's the ripple effects of the underbelly of that tide. Mm -hmm. It's like it's not a wave yet, but I know how I know how to I know how to seed now. Like yeah. I know how to allow for those conversations to develop. And time and time again, the number one need that I'm constantly being met with is that people are not feeling heard in this industry whatsoever. People are not feeling heard or represented or seen or catered to. And they're stuck in these contracts of two plus years where they're not able to then further develop their brand. And it's like, that's where I come in and I go, you don't have to do a two-year contract with me. Let's just start opening up the dialogue and let me compliment your team in this way or that way. And so it just goes back to that where it's like, if it feels forced or you feel restricted, it's not in alignment. Yeah. And there's always ways. If we're creative, there's always ways to pull in that that stride. But it requires, it totally requires you putting yourself out there and being like, I'm totally ready. And now do I have the infrastructure to sustain that when it comes in? 
and that's that's a humbling process within itself you know <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> what i think is super cool is that like th- as i've grown and, and I, i've really done the most growth from a business perspective and, and a creative perspective in the last year right that first year was just spent fucking floundering figuring it out and i've really right. i've really in like the last three months four months have really started to hit my stride um but to me what's beautiful about this path has been like how every opportunity has sort of begat or begotten another opportunity right so it's like the interactions oh, yeah, yeah. that i've had with xyz band you meet someone else you shoot for them it's like it's just a, it's like there is I believe when you're like aligned with your purpose in life, there is a serendipitous nature about things that everything starts kind of falling into place. It's obviously a lot easier said than done. Like these things take an immense amount of time and stress and anxiety and drama. But eventually I think you like start realizing you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And like life sort of rewards you for having trusted in that process and that path Um, in your own experience. Do you have that self-belief that you will be working with XYZ Dream Client a year from now, two years from now? Like, how does that sort of manifest for yourself? Yeah, I I have always been very in tune with the ways in which the universe is communicating in my path. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm also very Aries and I'm stubborn as hell. So I I have been through it when it comes to like, will you chill out <laughs> and like trust that it's happening? And I'm like, but I got rent in the morning, yeah. you know? And it's like, and it's like, there's a combination of just really like coming to terms with your fear and kind of just humorously bantering with it. I do feel like I I have a belief that my dream like clients, I I almost don't would, wouldn't want it in like a year from now. Mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person that like I'm very like when I'm in my grit, you cannot take me away from my grit, and I will reach those goals. And then the part that's where I'm at in this place, it's like, well, I get to dream of even bigger goals, and it really requires a moment of rest mm-hmm. because it's like I don't want to be in this place where. You know, I've normalized the stress over the rewards. I think that the clients that I work with now are are still my dream clients. You know, they're my they're 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 as they're as potent in my eyes as Beyonce, <laughs> and that the archetypes of that storytelling are all reflective of each other. So the day that I get to work with Beyonce, you know, it will feel as as an archetypal resonance that it does now, you know, working with Vailana. And so it's like in these spaces, I truly feel like what is going to change is simply the, the platform in which we can, we can put these stories on Mm -hmm. and constantly be that person in those writing rooms that is advocating for that. Um, And, and, and if, working with a larger, you know, more mainstream artist doesn't allow me to do that, then perhaps those are not the rooms that I'm meant to be in, you know? And I'm perfectly fine, like, you know, just just living more in alignment with that. You know, it's funny. I I was on a shoot two weeks ago and 
like I'm I'm it's like I'm I'm a nerd in that when I get a shot that like I know is the shot that I'm inevitably going to share with the client and or post on social and or the the reason why I was hired, right? There's like the one that comes from whatever the shoot is. I still get that like uh excitement that like nerd out I'm like fuck yeah like I just fu- like I fucking got it like and and I and it's funny there's nothing like in my life that I've ever done at least from like a work perspective like I was in sales for a long time when I made a sale it wasn't I didn't have that feeling I didn't have that like visceral excitement that I have when I know that I've accomplished the thing that I was put here to do um, and I think if you are able to do that from a storytelling perspective regardless of who it is, um, I think that you will be successful in, in all of your endeavors because you come from this in such a, an inspiringly beautiful place that it is almost impossible for you not to be able to be put in the position to be successful in, in what you're doing, which I think is tremendous. Oh, Oh, I love that. I so receive that. Oh, I, yeah, it's, I think it's also a constant reminder of like, I, I don't have to remind myself why I'm doing this work. And because of that, it becomes that of ease. Yeah. But it is, yeah. not, but it is easy. No, it no, is no. Not easy. But there's a place of ease in that, you know, in any other situation where it wasn't in alignment, I had to constantly show up and justify and, and rationalize and constantly find like the needle in a haystack of like why I was at that desk Mm -hmm. and it's like something just clicked one day where it was like oh my gosh like someone's dream is to be at this desk and I'm like taking someone's spot here it is not mine so -hmm. it's like I'm doing a disservice on both ends the parallel life of what is meant to be at this desk and that which is like this is not my desk and so it's like I just like, I find that there's, there's more bandwidth in my energy because I don't have to wake up and be like, I'm doing this job for my kids. I'm doing this job for like, you know, the security. I'm doing this job for the approval of my parents. I'm doing this job because, because I studied A, B, and C and I have to do this job. You know, it's like, no, I get to do this job. Oh my gosh amazing you know yeah I, I i joke that every time i show up somewhere with my camera and i get paid for it i'm like who did i fucking scam to be able to do this for a living because it's like one of those things where i'd never experienced that before i figured out what i was supposed to do with my life i never had that reassurance that like self-confidence of i was put here to make beautiful images and to some degree i get the same sort of life high doing these podcasts and having these conversations because i know there is value in what we're providing here today that someone's going to listen to this conversation and be like hey maybe i'm not happy in my job maybe uh you know maybe i want to be doing something else maybe i want to start my own career maybe i want to go be a fucking doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher or whatever and i know that like when you figure out the things that you're supposed to be doing in your life everything starts adding up and and one plus one equals two and you get to inevitably be like who the fuck did i scam to be able to be this happy doing (laughs) the thing i love to do Oh my goodness. And you know what? In your body of work, I see that there's a moment in which you capture that is so intimate. Thank you. And I'm like, oh my God, like even just that gaze alone is is how I feel when there's a moment in which I feel almost like an artist therapist, if you will. Yeah. Or 
a brand life coach. And it's a moment of like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa, like, that's awesome. What an honor to witness you. And if that means that it's only translated in a one-liner in a press release or a caption on a post, or it doesn't even get translated right now, but there's a breakthrough of like, you know what? There's this part of my story where blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, brother, sister, human, yes. Like, and that's how I feel when I, when I see your images where I'm like, there's this moment where it's like, how did you catch that nuance? How did you, how were you able to preserve? And now we can preserve and capture that moment and, and hopefully do justice to what we felt in that space. And the artists themselves, it's so peripheral. It's such a blind spot, mm-hmm. you know, not, not always can, can, you know, the artist or the muse see that. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, thank you. That, that was very much appreciated. I think, when it comes to how I'm able to do it, there's a cheat code in that I am incredibly intentional about when I press the button. And the reason mm-hmm. why I'm intentional is because my photography career started in film, right? So you have to be incredibly mindful about how many pictures you're taking because that shit is expensive and you can't just blast a thousand photos. So I don't, I don't shoot on like what would be like a high burst mode for a digital camera because I don't think it is doing any service to the moment that I'm in. So if I'm shooting a concert or if I'm shooting with models or or I'm shooting for a brand, whatever I'm doing, I'm shooting on single shot mode because for me, there has to be intent behind why I press the button. And if I ever lose that, I'm going to be able to lose what I'm trying to do as I tell these stories. And I think to a lot of degree, if people live their lives with a bit more intention, if people were able to put a lot more intention to the things that they do, again, life could be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. Um, mm-hmm. Yuvia, I, uh, man, I got to say, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful to have had you on the podcast today. That was just such a wonderful, wonderful um, life-affirming conversation. And uh, shout out mm-hmm. to Sienna for, for putting us together to have this conversation. Um, I have an extremely cheesy line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. Um, I, I am just immensely thankful that you were able to come on today and have this conversation with me about life and music and art and intentionality. And uh, I know you're going to be incredibly successful in your life. And, and just thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, brother. That was such a special space, honestly. You're welcome.